diversifying your donor database, and staying in touch with your donors over the long term, all via crowdfunding. Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the Fundraising School. Today, we're looking at a recent study conducted by the research team at the Indiana University Lilly Family School Philanthropy, which also is home to the Fundraising School. And this study on crowdfunding found that a substantial percentage of donors are turning to crowdfunding for their charitable donations. What was really interesting, though, was how people of color, uh, people who are non-religious, uh, as well as single and younger donors are actually more likely to use crowdfunding than other donors. And so when we think about how do we expand our reach, how do we expand our outreach to donors and diversify our donor database, how can we do that? And Dr. Una Osley, who is Associate Dean of the Indiana University Lilly Family School Philanthropy, talked about how crowdfunding can help nonprofits bring greater diversity amongst their donor database. What we found uh, in this study, and I think uh, some of my colleagues felt that this was probably the most interesting finding of all, is that uh, we didn't find um, that ethnic groups, different racial and ethnic groups were less likely to use crowdfunding vehicles. In fact, it seemed like across the board, there was a, not just in terms of using it, but uh, uh, speaking about the benefits. Every all the racial and ethnic groups we uh, surveyed all talked about the ease, the convenience, the uh, flexibility that these tools provided, and especially for younger donors. So my takeaway, and as we've talked, uh, you know, unpack this data, but also talked to donors throughout this year, we had several focus groups uh, ongoing about uh, donors of color and their giving behavior over the past year. What stood out to us is that. The ease, the convenience, and uh, especially in this uh, time period that we're in, the uh, scale, the fact that you can have an impact, that we're seeing people of all different backgrounds give through those platforms, but also start campaigns through those platforms. So launch campaigns. It's not just that they're giving, it's also that they're using them to raise funds for causes that matter to them. So for the nonprofits and the fundraisers and the leaders in the audience, if you're thinking about I don't have a very diverse uh, fundraising uh, base right now. I'm not reaching very diverse communities. This is an opportunity to uh, actually experiment with how do you reach that more diverse donor base and keep in mind that many of those donors can actually help you bring in those new donors because they may be willing to launch those campaigns. And similar to the story I told about uh, the uh, organization that they had this person show up with uh, thousands of dollars from thousands of donors, um, this is a chance for you to connect with a different group of, of donors than you may have connected with in the past. Yeah, no doubt that diversity is the morally correct thing to do. And also, though, as we uh, attract more people who hail from different communities, they can help introduce us to even more people from other communities. Exactly. So, so many, so many positive developments there. Una, what implications might this have for smaller nonprofits. We know from our good friends at the Urban Institute, about 75% of nonprofits have budgets of under $1 million. Is crowdfunding somewhat of a leveler? Do you think can this help a smaller nonprofit, not just by budget, but by staff, uh, really leverage their fundraising and reach more donors? What, what is your uh, thought there as you look at these data? So this study mostly focused on the donor side. So we don't know as much about the nonprofits that actually receive those contributions. But my other research on 
crowdfunding, Giving Tuesday campaigns, and some of the other tech-powered uh, fundraising opportunities is that there is that uh, potential for crowdfunding to level the playing field. In other words, when we looked at giving to a lot of the large-scale disasters that have happened in the past few years, whether it was Hurricane Harvey, Irma, Maria, we saw that small organizations were able to raise large sums of money. And in fact, um, technology allowed them to connect with donors that they wouldn't have otherwise connected with. Um, and this was even true as far back as uh, giving to Haiti, where very small diaspora organizations uh, raised large sums. In the past year, um, I mentioned the CDC Foundation as a very good example. They did not have a, a digital strategist. They did not have a, a crowdfunding specialist. But what they realized is that this was a, a cause that many were attracted to and that they could reach individual donors. Prior to that, they had not really gotten a lot of support from everyday Americans. And so they launched this platform and this was one of those, if you build it, they will come. Uh, they saw lots of support from all kinds of individuals all over the country, all over the world. And my best uh, fun story about the CDC Foundation is that they even partnered with TikTok. So when your kids, uh, build a video on TikTok, they can actually donate directly to the CDC Foundation. That's one of the choices. So the fact is there are new tools, there are new vehicles, and especially for reaching not just the millennials now, we're talking about the, the Gen Zs, uh, the ones after the millennials, uh, these kinds of tools have to be part of at least your toolkit. Uh, I'm not saying, uh, you know, um, leave your traditional fundraising and jump into crowdfunding, but I certainly think experiment, see what works, learn about these new tools, and also think of them as a window into reaching a group of donors that you may not currently reach. So it's not about cannibalizing your current donor base, but really reaching a whole new group of donors of different backgrounds. Una was talking to us during our leadership roundtable, which happened during the summer of 2021, when we brought several new research studies out to the public and uh, discussed them in greater detail, what they mean for fundraising. And on this particular study involving crowdfunding, Una also talked about how crowdfunding can be used to start stewarding donors and develop a long-term relationship. What we have seen, though, is that the ability to convert those crowdfunding donors to current donors and regular donors really rests on the nonprofits. So it's not really about the donor. In this case, there is this myth that disaster donors just give and then they walk away. But actually the data suggests that disasters, crises can be a portal for donors to learn about organizations. And often it's how they're stewarded and engaged that lead them to either stay with the organization or stop giving. And by far, um, we had a, a study that actually looked at people who gave to uh, the Asian tsunami in 2005 and then followed their behavior. And many of them continued to give to the international organizations that they were giving to because those organizations stayed with them, engaged with them, provided, and here it's not just about uh, coming back and asking them for follow-up gifts, but engage them with their mission and show them the power of their gift. Now, today's landscape, 2020, many organizations are reporting that they have a record number of first-time donors, a lot of new donors. We're seeing this across many areas. It's not just um, 
disaster relief or health organizations or even human services, but even in education, the arts and, and other areas where you'd not, you might not expect we're seeing those first time donors. And the question really is how will the nonprofit um, sector, the philanthropic sector, all of us, how will we steward those donors, engage with them, build trust, um, and it's not just about going back and asking them for a follow-up gift, but thanking them and ultimately showing them how their gift is making a difference. So it seems like it's not about as much um, their first-time donor, but what happens after that first gift? What is our uh, plan for stewardship and engagement? And that is challenging right now. I, I uh, fully uh, understand and recognize that uh, many organizations are not back to face-to-face -face and in-person, and they're still trying to figure out um, how they engage donors. But uh, what we have seen during the pandemic is that uh, many donors want to engage with the nonprofits, whether that's virtual or in-person or hybrid. And uh, organizations, of course, uh, are learning to pivot to embrace these uh, new ways of building trust and building relationships. Una, thank you so much for that passionate and thorough response concerning stewardship. Again, at the fundraising school, we teach the 14-step fundraising cycle. Making the philanthropic request doesn't happen until step 13, meaning those other 12 involve a lot of planning and preparation. And making the request is not the last step. That 14th step is stewardship. And as crowdfunding and other forms of online fundraising continue to grow, as fundraisers, we need to continue to grow our stewardship for these online donors. As our friend Rick Dunham says, we don't want them to be a one-time guest. We're going to invite them in and have them stay for a while, year after year, as consistent donors. Una, during the uh, introductions, I mentioned that you also lead our school's international relations. Uh, any sense of what's happening internationally with crowdfunding? Yes, it's a great question. We're seeing crowdfunding really take off around the world. In some ways, it seems like uh, here in the U.S., we are maybe not even on the uh, digital frontier because many organizations have um, the whole mobile uh, platform configured. They have, uh, in fact, even before uh, the pandemic, we had crowdfunding being used across uh, the board. In some ways, uh, developing countries seem to be even moving faster in this space. I do think that the pandemic has moved us all into this uh, world where we are willing to look at things differently, um, analyze things differently, and we're willing to experiment more. So I do think even globally, um, my own uh, prediction, although none of us has a crystal ball, is that we are going to see digital giving, digital strategies continue to grow. And um, as the, the tools become more widely available, there'll also be opportunities to, I think, uh, build in the, the regulatory piece that right now is missing uh, from a public policy standpoint. Uh, and donors especially um, seem to uh, appreciate the ease of giving. And I think that's a lesson for all of us in the more traditional ways of fundraising. How do we make it easier for people to give? How do we lower the barriers and make it uh, more, I think the word is frictionless. How do we build that world of frictionless giving where someone can uh, be inspired to give, make that gift and receive the feedback on how their gift is making a difference? We're so grateful for the advice and wisdom and expertise of Dr. Una Osley as she's helped us learn more about crowdfunding, how that can help us increase our fundraising, 
how that can help us increase the diversity amongst our donors and provide stewardship for long-term relationship with those donors. Now, uh, the research is available on our website from our research team at philanthropy.iupui.edu. Look across the toolbar on the top, click on the word research, and you'll see all of those studies right there for your easy access. And the research from our school informs the curriculum of the fundraising school. In fact, we think that's what sets us apart, that wherever possible, our curriculum is evidence-based from the research conducted by Dr. Osley and her team, as well as by our academic faculty. And we translate those findings for you into effective fundraising practice for practitioners, including in our public courses, which are available in person in Indianapolis and in a growing number of US cities. We also are available online. You can take some of our courses in a recorded version online. Some of them are live in a virtual setting. We have custom training where we can craft and tailor fundraising training specifically for your nonprofit organization. We have these free podcasts. We also have quarterly webinars. And all that information is available on our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. Thanks again to our guest today, Dr. Una Osley and her comments from our leadership roundtable. Our producers today are Jennifer Boffman and Mike Anthony. I'm Bill Stanjakevich, and now you are now more fully informed on this first day from the fundraising school. Thank you.